Well, I have to really appreciate Ken and those that lead us in worship. Uh, you know, we got to the uh, song I call Angel Armies. I think the, it's Whom Shall I Fear. It's the name of the song. But uh, I was saying in first service, it reminded me of Christian comedian Tim Hawkins when he says, I came to rock the flock. Or, I came to uh, uh, jam for the lamb, uh, bring the flavor of the Savior. I mean, that's, that was uh, good worship. And, and I really felt the presence of God moving and and we had a, a, a message from the Lord in the first uh, worship service. It was just a great time. Well, I want to also challenge you before I get in the message today. Wednesday, we started, this last Wednesday, started a series on angels. And you know, there's not a lot of focus from the church on angels sometimes. And so we're taking kind of a deep dive look at, at what the scripture says about angels. But you know, um, it's one of the few things that even people who, are, uh, who don't maybe believe in God, they want to believe in angels. They just have a different concept of them. But, you know, uh, whether they're a bodyguard or they, or they look like Xena, Princess Warrior, or whatever they look like, you know, they, they have their own version. And, and you know, and we, so we were dispelling some myths about angels as, as well. So I challenge you 6.30 on Wednesdays for the next few weeks. It's an excellent time to bring your friends who are curious about supernatural, those type of things, but yet you don't think they're really open to believing in God. So it's a, a great time to invite folks and... Um, to bring them. Uh, a couple of things about the Christmas and New Year's. Some of you may be wondering, Pastor, you keep saying between two services we're averaging 120, and uh, maybe some of you are OCD like me and you've counted the chairs. You say there's about 88 or 90 in here. Uh, we, we've done this before. Uh, combined service, we'll have seating out in the foyer, and if we have anything where you think you won't be able to see it, we actually Skype sometimes to a projector out in the foyer. I know that sounds funny, but hey, you make do with the space you've got. So uh, Friday evening for that Christmas Eve Eve service, I'd come a little early if you can, uh, if you want to get up closer to the front. And I know some will be traveling, but I still anticipate pretty full service and the same with New Year's. But we'll be excited to have a great time with you on that. Um, so again, you can just take a look at that if you want afterwards. As far as the change of address or getting your address, um, once they get done with offering, maybe we can have a basket back at the sound booth and you can drop those in there. All right, so I don't know how many were here last week for the beginning of our, our series that we started. I'm, I'm holding back on the name of it yet. For those of you who weren't here, maybe you're traveling back from Thanksgiving. But we started the series, Xmas, Finding What's Lost. Now, if you weren't here, the fact that I just said Xmas, it might be getting your, your, uh, your pharisaical blood boiling right now. But I'm going to challenge you to go back and listen to the message online that we post on there to, um, because I'm not going to have time today to do a recap of last week. Uh, we actually probably will barely get done with what I, I feel we need to get done today. But go back and, and check out that message. Um, if you want to get prepared for our main text, you can turn in your Bibles to Psalms, the 23rd Psalm. The 23rd Psalm. Some of you may have that memorized. Uh, uh, many of you will recognize it by having heard it read before or, or um, heard it referenced. And many of you may think it's a pretty odd place to go uh, for a Christmas series because it's used a lot for funerals. Hopefully you'll understand why we're doing this by the time we're done because this, this is one, uh, there's one specific thing from this passage I want to focus on and it's highlighted well in the 23rd Psalm. So I want you to go there with me as I highlight that particular part of the passage and we'll really unfold our, our second part of our series today. So I'm going to read to you from the English Standard Version in Psalms 23. 
The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters and he restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I want to draw a special emphasis to verse 5 where David tells God, You, Father, you prepare a table for me. And God goes before me, David says, and prepares a table even in the presence of my enemies. He anoints my head with oil and my cup runs over. Makes me think of times when you've been invited, maybe a fancy banquet or something or a wedding where they're putting names of the wedding party out and you're walking around looking for your name. And maybe it's, it's far down the line. You start kind of wondering, did, is there a place set for me? And you, you think about this picture that is being painted by David, that, that God prepares a place for me, even the face of my enemies. Basically, there, there's not a place for the enemies of God, but there is a place for his children, those who have chosen to follow him. So I, I want you to, to say something after me here in just a moment. I'm going to say some words. I want you to repeat them because it's going to help us to really get into the mode of where we're going with this sermon. I, I want you to say the words and, and get this in your heart, but say, God prepares. Now, now say, love prepares. See, the love of God is expressed through his willingness to prepare. To prepare a table for us in the presence of our enemies to, and to prepare so many things. But last week we launched this four-week series, as I said, this journey known as Advent. Uh, again, I can't do a full recap, but we talked about the fact that Christmas has really lost. Um, we have lost some things in Christmas, the meaning of Christmas, the reason for the season. And so I said, new song, we're going to focus more on Advent. We, we may be, uh, you know, this is more of a thing that liturgical churches like a Lutheran or another church might focus on, but, but I believe Advent is, is the best expression of what we celebrate during this time. So this is the second week of Advent that we're in, and I believe this will culminate, these messages will culminate up to our candlelight uh, service on Christmas Eve Eve. So I realize that some of you, again, they may be traveling, and when you say Xmas, that just gets your blood boiling because you feel like I'm pulling Christ out of the name of Christmas. But, but most of all, I want you to hear the heart of our intent on this sermon series because our objective over Advent is to find what's missing in our Christmas celebration. Whether it's the church using the word Christmas or the culture using the word Xmas, in our hearts we really know what's missing. And our goal over the next few weeks is to make a stop and think for us to not get so busy to just let this season be another mundane Christmas, but to stop and think what is lost in our Christmas? What's gone missing? If we just throw the word Christmas up there, which is what's expected, and go on with our lives, then no one's going to be bothered enough by that to stop and think. But when you say the word Xmas, it gets us stopping and thinking. I mean, Christmas will make... Uh, religious people happy, but Xmas gets our attention uh, as religious people get bent out of shape. And I'm just saying Christmas 
me just saying that does not necessarily mean that Christ is in your life. If you say that, or just much less uh, Christmas being Christ-focused just because you say the word Christmas. There are plenty of people saying Merry Christmas instead of Happy Holidays simply just to revolt against political correctness gone wrong. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stand my ground on this. I'm not going to say Happy Holidays. I'm going to say Christmas because, because that's how I stand for Jesus. But the term Christmas has evolved to become more of a political statement than it is a, a statement of faith or a reflection about a deep relationship with Christ. And there will be plenty of people using the word Christmas, celebrating Christmas this year in the word only. But in reality, they will be celebrating Xmas because they will make no room in their life, um, no room in their celebration for Jesus. See, here's our temptation as a church. Here's our temptation as a believer. The temptation to spend the entire month of Advent or Christmas season berating our culture for taking Christ out of Christmas. And I understand the holiday celebration, for the most part in our culture, is a Christless celebration, but our emphasis this month is the church, it's not the culture. Our nation's culture is no longer Christian. If you still are hanging on to a thread that this United States is still a Christian culture, then you're living in a fairy tale world. It's not. And I don't expect even Christians to worship Jesus as Christmas, as uh, during Christmas uh, or any other time, for a matter of fact, until their lives have been touched and changed by His mercy and grace. You see, one thing that troubled me about accepting uh, what God called me to do here to be a pastor of this church is I'm an all-or-nothing guy, and I've grown up in church, and I know how Christians we can sometimes just sing songs and sing the words, and we can come and we can play the part and we can sit on the pew, but in our heart there's turmoil because we don't want to be pushed to live differently than we want to live, and and we don't want to have to be disciplined in our lives and have to. Uh, have to align our lives with the word of god we want to be free in our sense of freedom when really it's bondage but we want to be free to do our own thing so our emphasis is not on the culture our emphasis is on the house of god our emphasis over the next few weeks is on the people of god but we as people get so busy celebrating the cultural celebration of what is christmas we get so busy criticizing the culture for taking christ out of christmas and we criticize Xmas so often that there's a, a great degree of hypocrisy in our distraction. Because in our criticism and our busyness, we lose the very thing we say we're trying to defend. In other words, we launch a, a verbal assault on a culture who is not Christian, trying to push them to, to act as Christians when it's not in their heart, and in that, act opposite of Christ, and we end up celebrating Xmas ourselves because we've taken Christ out of our own celebration for him. We shout Merry Christmas in a self-righteous tone when someone tells us Happy Holidays at the local store. Or we're bothered by the fact schools celebrate holiday parties instead of Christmas parties. And it does seem downright weird to call a Christmas tree a holiday tree. But in our social media rants and our emotionally and politically charged rhetoric, Please remember, it's the highest form of hypocrisy to rant about Christless culture and Christless Christmas when we made no room for Christ in our own time, when we should be focusing on Him. Instead of criticizing, ask yourself these questions. What was your prayer life like over the last seven days? 
As soon as you see Xmas or you see someone um, trying to pull this season out of Christ's hands and make it about something else, first ask yourself, when did you crack open the Word of God to spend the fellowship with Him by reading His inspired words? When did you do that? Did you make room in your life over the last seven days to intentionally and purposely for Christ have let Him have residence in your life? Or was last week a Christless week for you? Did you celebrate Xmas last week? See, sure we worship on Sundays. We worship on Wednesdays if you come on Wednesdays. And sure we have those times. But before we go on our rants about the culture taking Christ out of Christmas, make sure we are aware of what is lost or what is going missing from our own lives. You remember we talked about Mary and Joseph, the parents of Jesus, who could have loved him more at that time, lost him when he was 12 years old for, for, for several days. Yes, the culture has removed Christ from Christmas, but make sure you don't ignore him in the process of celebrating yourselves. We should be less worried, listen to this, we should be less worried about pagan culture being pagan than we are about Christian culture being Christless. In other words, our focus should be more on the fact of Christians sometimes being Christless than a pagan nation acting as pagans. At least they're doing what they say they are. If we, were, if we would be very if it would be so easy, we, sometimes it's so easy to be distracted over the holidays. We get caught up in the, the festivities, the tradition, the celebrations, the parties, the stress, the food, the gifts, the finances. Uh, the December 25th comes and goes. And, and we somehow got caught up thinking we're going to have that Norman Rockwell picture as our family, right? You're in there baking the cookies, and you got the Christmas tree lit, and the and the you know the old Christmas music playing. The Wonderful Life is playing on the TV. Kids are zooming over the hills of snow on the old sled, right? Coming in, getting warmed up, saying, "Gee, Mom, that smells swell," you know. And we and we get so caught up that our Christmas is going to be so perfect because if we have all those cultural things, you know, that's just going to be perfect. You got your little Santa that's holding the Coca Cola, you know. But we should be less worried about those things and more worried about putting Christ first in our life. You see, I'm constantly aware that every day I have the opportunity to shape and mold those that God has put in my path and my children, my family are first of all in that. And this morning I detected one of my kids, I don't know what he got in trouble for or what happened, but since he's not in here I can talk about it. But he was. But I have three kids and one of them was not doing the same as the others. And uh, he was wanting to sit out and worship. And, you know, I could as a dad, I make them stand, but I don't force them to worship. But I just laid my hand on him. I began to pray where he couldn't hear me. God, you know, don't let him miss out on this opportunity to worship you. Help, help him, you know. And uh, we had a, a, a message in tongues and interpretation, and, and it was just hit, I believe, a lot of us right on the head. And, and then my kids were down at the altar. And, you know, I was just, thank you, Jesus. You know, I, I could be at home waiting for him to zoom over that hill on that sled and thinking everything's perfect because I've got that Norman Rockwell picture for a family, right? But I'd much rather than be out there as a sled and thinking about that intense conversation about the Word of God that morning in that prayer time where, where serious, heavy spiritual things are just uh, uh, maturating in their life and, and beginning to mature them in Christ and, and they're growing up in their spirit. And so as they're playing, they've got these, these eternal things going on in their spirit. That's what I hope for. That's, that's where you begin to see a, a real Christmas life, not an Xmas life. 
Here's the danger, although unintentional for many of us, those of us who really love Jesus, we can wake up in our New Year's celebration on our Christmas or our Christmas celebration where it's come and gone and look back and realize as believers that it was an Xmas instead of a Christmas because we made no room for him in our lives and our celebrations. You know, you got the, the I forgot the gift for Tommy. We didn't know Tommy was coming with sister, you know, so-and-so or whatever. We, di- we didn't have a gift for them or we forgot this ingredient for the, the, the pie or we forgot... Uh, dressing or whatever and it's about the store and the and the schedule and what we've got to buy so our goal in this series is an expedition an archaeological dig if you will over the next few weeks to rediscover the real meaning of christmas that's been buried under generations of american consumerism uh, materialism our greed and last week in our series we we found focused on the x factor of christmas what that what that X factor is, but we focused on the anticipation of Advent, and today we're going to be unearthing love. As we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ, we will be celebrating all that has been going on and has has uh, that He has done for us. So let's focus on the unearthing love. When you start to look for love, you find it in the most unexpected places. I mean, it'd be real easy for us to start talking about finding love in the Christmas story. I mean, it's Christmas. Why, Pastor CJ, why are you in Psalms 23? Why isn't this the Christmas story? And our minds go to the obvious. And it would be easy to, to say uh, the Advent is about John 3.16, where it becomes uh, a physical reality that God so loved the world, that he sent his only begotten son, that uh, he would die and make a way for us to have right relationship with the Father and Anyone who believes on him will not perish but have eternal life. That would all seem right and good. But if you dig deeper, we'll see how God expresses his love in unexpected ways. Because God has an overlooked and misunderstood love language. Did you know that God has a love language? That he has things, characteristics about him that is part of his love language? Some of you married couples may have taken some of the Christian marriage uh, uh, courses that, that talk about the love language. But because I want you to understand that one of God's love languages is the art of preparation. A moment ago I had you say God prepares and I had you say love prepares. But that act of preparing a way for us, he has expressed his love through preparation. And we as people do the same thing. Let me give you an example. It's like in sports. You know, there are, uh, I'm not a big sports fan as far as football, basketball, I like uh, the mixed martial arts fighting, the UFC. Some people are like, well, pastor, that's not very godly. That's violent. I'm like, yeah, I've watched football, uh, and you're just trying to right your wrong. But, you know, those guys are at the hospital too, but I'm not a big fan of that. But one thing I do know about sports, because I have been at least athletic before and understand is that some people like to play the game for different reasons. Some may like, I'm going to be on ESPN, Mom. I'm going to get the big money. You know, getting a big, big contract. And you got some players standing up there, and one is doing his own thing. Got the national anthem going. I'm going to get the attention, Mom. I'm going to do my thing, you know? And so they do it for different reasons. It might be political. It might be their own personal vendetta, whatever. But they're in the game for something else. Maybe they just like to be on the field. But there's a different one. The one who truly loves the sport. And the one who truly loves the sport loves to prepare for it. Their love is shown for the sport through their preparation. They change their diet. They get up early. They discipline themselves, and they train, and they train, and they train, and train. And it's their expression of love through that preparation for the sport. That's the ones that truly love the sport. 
coaches often will tell players that that uh, you know um, that the athletes will play like they practice. And if they practice half-heartedly, they're going to play the game half-heartedly. In the military, they would say, the, the more you bleed in training, the less you'll bleed in war. The idea is that you'd rather get that broken bone training so you know what that's like and how to power through that than to happen when your life is really on the line. A coach will tell an athlete that preparation makes the ultimate difference. It's widely known that expectant mothers go through something called nesting, uh, a nesting period right before the baby's born. Um, this message, I, I, I pulled uh, this sermon series from uh, a mentor of mine, Brian Jarrett, the pastor's in Texas. And so he led his church through this series last year during Christmas. And he was talking about how his wife, when their kids were born, she went into this like supernatural strength you know, where right before she's cleaning and, and polishing and doing all these things, preparing for that baby. And she loves that baby so much that she's expressing it through the preparation for that baby to come. Well, that baby doesn't deserve that. You know, grandparents would argue with me and say, that baby deserves everything. You better, you better step back right now. I don't care if you're a pastor or not, I put you down. Grand, grandpa style. But, but the truth is, that baby didn't do anything to provide for what it's receiving. That baby didn't work a job and pay for the house. It didn't pay for the crib. It didn't pay for the baby food. All that stuff, all that preparation, totally undeserved. You see, in the same way, God, in his love for us, his love language, it's all about preparing a place for us. It's all about preparing before we've even arrived. He began preparing for us. And so we see that love prepares. That nesting is very common. Uh, Jen, when our kids were born, she wanted the house all clean and everything put away and everything organized and had all the stuff ready. We didn't wait till the baby's born. It's like, okay, now let's figure out. We need uh, diapers. What do we need? You know, there's prayers. We do baby showers when you're, you know, getting ready to have a baby. And all that's part of showing love in the preparation for that young life to be born. The way I see it, that preparation is love. Love expressed through that love language of preparation. So real love prepares. And ladies, you know this more than anyone. I've seen it in my mom. I've seen it in my sisters. I've seen it in my wife. Um, uh, you especially work hard for the holidays. You prepare the meal. You're shopping. You're doing this. You know, Ken and I talk. We don't like to decorate the trees. Um, well, I'll put it up, but I don't like to decorate it. You know, and, and my wife and, and my daughter and ladies, they like to do all that stuff in the preparation. It's part of their love language. And I've seen even in, in families where the wives or the women will go through either some disappointment or, or depression a little bit after the holidays because they put all this love into the preparation of that and people eat and they're fed and they're happy, they're gone, and they never think to say thank you. And they're doing it for them out of love, but everybody just took it as, hey, this is the normal hubbub of Christmas. We do this every year. You know, this is just how it goes. The guys are sitting there watching TV. It's almost ready, you know? So some of the frustration we go through is because there's a love language being spoken there to us and we don't get it. And, I, and so now we, we don't understand it that way, men. We should. But now that we understand that God's love language is preparation, he stamped it on us that we in different ways, guys do it. We do. You know, if, if the lady's taking off on a long trip and we can't go and we're all worried about them, we're like under the car catch up on all the maintenance that we should have been doing over the years. We're going to do it all the night before to make sure we're running to Walmart all through the night, getting no sleep before work just to make sure that they're safe on their trip. So we all do it. So now that we kind of understand that, you understand it now, preparation is expression of love. 
So it should come as no surprise to us that in Psalms 23, verse 5, when David says that God prepares, that he goes ahead of me and prepares a table for me uh, to feast in the presence of my enemies, that one of God's love languages is preparation. So prepare means to go before. It means to go ahead of me and get all of it ready. And God sets me up to overcome even in the presence of my enemies. He's omnipresent. Here's the neat thing about God. He walks into my present just as he is this morning. You're hearing his word. He's walking into your present. It's not a matter of me just saying some words from a scripture. His word's living. So right now, as you sit here, there's a supernatural thing happening. God is walking into your present. And what he's doing is he's planting his word because there's something ahead of you that you need this. You, you could have slept in this morning, and, and uh, the, the, if there's no conviction of the Holy Spirit to get up and go, you wouldn't be here. So God has prompted you in some way to be here. So he is in your present, but he's also already visited your future. So he's seen, you know what? That's going to be a little bit hard for you, but I'm going to prepare you. I've got a word for you today because something you're going to hit, and I need to get this for you because I love you, and my love language is preparing you for that thing. Yeah, you, you might be sick, and you might wonder why you're getting that thing. And, I, and Job went through this. I've seen it before, but I visited your future. You're going to make it. It's fine. Trust me. And so he goes in, then he comes back into your present. And he says, take my hand. I want to I take you with me. You know, you trust me. Oh, God, I'm worried about tomorrow. I'm worried about what's going to happen. I'm, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about self. He tells us that in Scripture. His words tell us not to focus on the past. He just wants us to take his hand. And the message in, in tongues of interpretation we had in the first service was all about you, you're picking up battles that belong to him. And he'll fight for you. And his angel armies will fight for you. If you'll only let it go, then take it. So he comes back into our, our present. He wants to take our hands. And, he goes, and, he, and he's saying, come on, walk with me. I've already been into your tomorrow. You're, you're going to make it because I'm going to walk with you. Even if you're tomorrow, I, I've been there. Even if it's a valley of the shadow of death, just know you're not alone. My rod and staff, they comfort you. Come on, little lamb. That's why there's a hook on the end of that to make sure you don't stray. Come on, take my hand. He's already been there. He's scoped it out. He's come back. He's grabbed your hand. He's walking you into the place he's already been. And he goes to prepare ahead of you. Listen to the promise in Deuteronomy 31.8. This is what he says. Do not be afraid or discouraged for the Lord will personally go ahead of you. He will be with you. He will neither fail you nor abandon you. In the book of Exodus, Moses gave God a name for this trait. Moses identified this about God and he gave him a name for it. It was Jehovah Nisi, which means the Lord is my banner. Now, how does that talk about going before me? Come on, old, old school movie Braveheart. Come on, guys. Urgh. Face paint. I've got the banner. I'm charging out there because if I go out there showing I'm fearless, then everybody that should be with me will come along. And everybody's supposed to pick up their banner and charge in. But, ah, you know? You know, shake your fist in the enemy's face. That's the picture we're getting here. God is my banner. He is the one that charges out ahead of me. He prepares before I hit the battle. He prepares the way for me. And like a banner before the battle, assuring victory, going ahead into the tomorrow, preparing a banner. When you call God Jehovah Nisi, you're calling God the God who fights on my behalf in my tomorrow before I ever get there. 
And he expresses his love in preparing a way where it seems there is no way. And that's why we call him the God of the impossible because he can do everything. There is no impossible with him. If it seems impossible, you give it to God, he will conquer it. We've also referred to him as the way maker. In fact, in, in, after uh, the New Testament times, they begin to talk about Jesus as the way. And they refer to him as the way. He's the way maker. So if you're going to unearth love in the Christmas story, don't go to Matthew's gospel first. Don't go to Luke's gospel first. Uh, you can go back a thousand or 2,000 years to the history of the city of Bethlehem in, in the manger account. But if you want to go to the beginning of Christmas, you need to go all the way back to the beginning of the Bible and see God preparing for Christmas in the book of Genesis. In matter of fact, in Genesis 3, verse 15, the Bible says this, The seed of woman will bruise the head of of the serpent so you have to understand the context that in the first three chapters you have creation and you have the fall of man and god's prized creation adam and eve um, they make this horrible um, gut-wrenching bad decision catastrophic choice to disobey and now instead of god uh, reigning in adam's heart uh, sin reigns in adam's heart and sin reigns in the world and all of creation stops to see how God, the God of the universe, is going to respond to this. It's like I have twin boys. You know, one of them messes up and the other one's innocent and he knows it's clear he's innocent. He's not going off and doing his own thing. He's standing by. He wants to see how dad's going to respond. I got to see this happen. Is he going to just take him out? Is he going to, you know, is he going to spank him? What, what's he going to do? And then, and then, you know, if dad has a moment where the Holy Spirit gets through and I soften my voice and say, son... We all make mistakes, but I hope you are learning from this. You see what God does in this moment. That's why of all creation, the angels, everybody's waiting to say, how is God going to, is he just going to explode the earth and start over again? How is he going to respond to Adam? In a gracious way, he pauses and responds to Adam's sin and disobedience in Genesis 3.15. He makes these human failures a promise that one day there would be one born of a woman who would undo the curse of sin on Adam's race. See, it's not good enough for me to float down in a cloud because I have all this power and everything and show you that way. No, I'm going to walk in your shoes, Adam. My son is going to become in flesh. He's going to feel the things you feel. and He's going to have the temptation that you have, but he's going to overcome on your behalf. There's going to be a way, right relationship with me again. That one day, there's one coming who would undo the deception of Satan on the human race. God's response for man uh, who falls into sin, um, he prepares a way for his son to become one of us that he might save us because real love prepares. And he, starts, he started the preparation process for the Christmas and the moment Adam sinned, uh, sinned he blew it, but, but God already had a plan in place. God had promised redemption and he weaves its way from Genesis 3.15 throughout the pages of the Old Testament all the way up to the birth of Christ. Nearly every prophet, every priest, every king, at least some mention it specifically, others give it a nod that the one he spoke about in Genesis 3.15 is coming. And there's a Messiah coming. Everybody's waiting, they're longing, they're looking, they're hoping, they're anticipating for the Messiah and on a starry night, a holy night, a silent night in Bethlehem, 2,000 years ago, God kept the promise that he made in Genesis 3.15 that because in that night, the seed of a woman, one born of a woman, came to earth. And what he did in his life, his birth, his death, and his resurrection, he broke the curse of sin of Adam's race. 
And he unveiled Satan's deception over the entire human race. And he made a way. He spent thousands of years preparing for you and I to be able to have a relationship with him for all of eternity. That's the real story of Advent. He expresses his love in a way he prepares. He, he, he prepares because real love prepares. John chapter 14, listen to what Jesus said here. He says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. I'm, going into, I'm, I'm coming into your present, then I'm going into your future. I know what's going to happen. I'm coming back to your present. I'm grabbing your hand, and I'm taking you with me, and no one can separate us. I've often heard it said, heaven is prepare, a prepared place for prepared people. God in his love has gone ahead of us to prepare heaven. A place we don't deserve like the unborn baby. They don't deserve what they're getting. But it's all about love. He's preparing our hearts also ahead of us. He's getting it ready. But in order to get us to heaven, he has to get us ready for heaven. We have to be a prepared people for a prepared place. And the only way you can be prepared to go to heaven is to have a relationship with his son. And so he, he made a way for that as well. And that's where, where we come in with Advent, that the real story behind Christmas, the Christmas story, is all about God, God preparing a way to prepare us as a people, to get us to a place that he has prepared us for. And I want to go back to the nesting thing for just a moment. See, there's no room in the hotels or inns as they call them. There wasn't a prepared place for Jesus when he came to earth in that form of a baby. I mean, you can picture Mary and Joseph. They're in a stable. They're trying their best to prepare it, right? Ladies would understand this a little more. I mean, she's looking around. She finds this food trough, right, for the animals. And like, well, if I can clean that out and I can put some straw in there, you know, at least it offers a place, a cradle for that, that baby. And she's doing everything she can. She's nesting before because of the love and preparation. So I've been spent some time talking about preparing the preparation part of God's heart. And I have to ask you today, have you prepared a place in your own life for him? There are many of us in different places in our life, and I know many of you and know personally that you've accepted Christ as your Savior. And I'm not necessarily talking about that, whether you chose him to be your Savior. Because as I said in previous message, we can be, we can be saved but not be in fellowship with him. In other words, we can have asked him to be Lord of our lives, but we're not really communing with him. We're not spending time with him. We're, we're trying to skate on that original deal that we made with him. Hey, God, be Lord of my life, but, you know, I, I just don't have time. You know, I understand I'm busy. You know, I forget. And I know I should read my word. It becomes task. But we've talked about this, married couples especially, or those of you who have had someone you just love. What happens when you stop talking to them? What happens when you cut off communication? Can you hold a marriage very long if you stop talking to each other? Do you stop learning about each other? You, if, you stop, if you stop sharing your heart with them, pretty soon that relationship breaks apart. See, God's perfect. So on his end, it's not him breaking apart. It's us. It's us making a conscious decision that we don't have time. We're going we're gonna to make other things more important than communing with him. And, and a lot of times it's because we don't see that person. You know, they say um, distance and, and time makes a, a, 
heart absence, absence makes the heart grow fonder, right? But that's not really true in the case of God. Because when you make, when you've lost him, when you make him absent, the truth is it gets easier and easier just to cut him out of your heart. So I want to ask today, have you prepared a place for him? Some of us have walked with Jesus for a long time. Some of us have made a decision to follow Jesus as a kid and some later in adult life and some just recently. But I'm not asking about your relationship as far as asking him to be your savior. I'm asking about fellowship. There are many of us who have a relationship with Jesus, but because of distractions of sin or whatever, lose fellowship with him. Listen, I've witnessed Christians that are trying so hard to do good in the name of Jesus. They're doing it, but what they're doing is they're basically trying to make themselves feel better about the fact that they really aren't maintaining a relationship with Jesus. They're doing a lot of good things in his name, but they truly aren't spending time with him and building a relationship with him. So while we go about all the festivities, the trees, the gifts, all of that, the hustle and bustle of this time of the year, in the middle of all that, let the Holy Spirit speak to you today and ask the question that's going to last after the paper's been thrown in the, in the garbage, after all the bows have been put back to re-gift, after all the bags have been put back to re-gift, after all that's been done, all the craziness, ask yourself, have you made room for the Christ that's supposed to be in the center of Christmas? My mom and dad come to the first service, and I, I know sometimes I brag maybe more on my family than you guys can take. But, you know, I, I can't remember when it started. Maybe it's been my whole life. But, you know, my mom does this little thing, this little tradition where before we can open gifts, the kids have to go back in a room, and they're going to do the Christmas story as either my mom or dad read it. And they dress them up. There's towels on the head. There's the whole trying to make them look from the time period. You know, there's the blankets. You know, the boys are just staring at the packages. They really could care less. The girls are like, ooh, a play, you know. I mean, <laughs> they're all into it, you know. But there's a different feeling. But, but it draws first. It's teaching them, you know, for my grandparents, God is before gifts for me. But his story is first. Let me talk to you just for a minute. I don't want to get too astray from, I've got a little bit left. I want us to finish and uh, I believe God's prepared me to finish on time. So, you know, I've been trying to put my finger on something. I had a conversation on an eight-hour trip yesterday with uh, one of the men in our church, and I was talking about some of the struggles as a as a pastor. And I grew up as a pastor's son, but some things that uh, there's emotions involved I don't understand. Sometimes trying to put my finger on things that should that bother you, and you tell you in your common sense mind that shouldn't bother me. I mean. I worked at Walmart. I know how it is to sit in the pew. I know you got other things going on. And then I get up here and I just get into this. We've got to be doing this church. And I know the Lord's leading, but I'm like, maybe I need to back off, folks. And I get emotionally involved. And then when, sometimes when things fall apart, then it hurts. It hurts my heart. And here's the thing. It can be my best buddy in the world. It can be someone I've just met, but I, I, I'm giving them equal love from me and we're planning something that, hey, an outreach for the church and people have committed to it. And all of a sudden right before, oh, I forgot, I got this thing. Oh, I forgot. And listen, you think I'm going to try and step on your toes. This is something I know that's going on in every church, okay? So I'm not trying to, if you're thinking, oh, he's talking about me in that one time a year ago. No. I'm just trying to talk through with you a little bit of what I see from a pastor's standpoint. But it personally hurts. I'm like, well, that's, they love me. They're, they're struggling with stuff like I did when I was at Walmart and they wanted to work me, you know, 70 hours a week. I, I, I know how that is. It's like, what is that about? Why can't I just let that go? I mean, that's just church, right? Why does God keep putting me back and making me just like a smack of people on the head? Let, let's do this. And I realize it's nesting. 
as much as I really don't want to stand before you as man and tell you that I nest, but I'm nesting. <laughs> See, God, my Heavenly Father, has given men a nesting thing too. It's really not men, because you know it's no longer your Gentile, male or female, but his children, right? We all are equal in that. We have this nesting, because what I'm doing is I'm nesting. See, I realize we're going to be building a new facility and we're going to have room to be able to expand the borders of the kingdom, not for our glory, but for his. And I know what that, I can, God's given me a vision of what that's going to take. And I know there's certain things we need to be doing now that we're not, that's going to take to get there. And so I get really invested in this. And, in, and you may think it's all about me and my little plan. Hoo-hoo, I, you know, there's Pastor CJ and he's got his plan, his evil plan, <laughs> right? And he's trying to make us all give up our stuff that we love and our, our kids to have to do stuff that they don't like to do. And, you know, no, it's not that. And it's not about tasks. It's a nesting because I love you. God's put this innate love in me. You could be here one day, and it's something about pastoring. God just makes you start loving people. And I'm not really like that. I could easily move to Alaska, be off away from everybody, have my family, have a big stack of wood, and, and be off the grid, and I'd be happy as could be if it wasn't for this big, glaring call in my life that God won't let me out of, right? And so I love you guys, and so I'm nesting. That's what I'm doing. We got a new facility coming up, and I know what it's going to take. And so I, he's already telling me, this is what I want you to push next year. It's about the story, telling our stories. Now you beat them to death on why we should be, feel bad about not doing what we need to do for God and wh- what's wrong in our spirits and why we need to be a community. We need to be in each other's homes. We need to know each other when things are going wrong, all this. And now I'm saying we can lay that to rest because now it's about learning to get past that and tell our story. And be ready that when people come in that door, that's not about, hey, let's meet the pastor, because that's what that's about. No, look at all these Christ followers that are living a vibrant life for the Lord because he's lit them up and they put him before everything. And while this is maybe about Christmas and Advent, it's a, it's a yearly thing that he is first in all things. Look, there's a day and time, and I still did in my whole life, you want to work me on Sundays? No. Okay, this is where it's going to get real for a minute. There's day and time in the walk of the believers, they said, I'm going to take my stand. And this isn't about saying you got to say Christmas instead of Xmas. This is a stand because I will have a day, a Sabbath, as God said, to worship the Lord. But I will not work on Sundays. Businesses would close because they couldn't find enough people to work Sundays. You see the slippery slope we go on when we begin to let other things be more important. When we start teaching our children that it's okay to make a choice to put something else ahead of, ahead of his kingdom. We have to be very careful of that. And so I love you guys. When I see things like that, it's not a matter of I love you less or I think less of you or I'm scowling at you. It's really hard because I want to just let it go. I'm like, Lord, I just, don't, I just want to be my friend. I don't want to get into their, I don't want to get into their business. But I'm nesting. I'm like, you know what? If you keep making those decisions, I've seen it time and time again. It's going to pull your family away from the Lord. You're going to pay for it years down the road that child is going to continue to make that decision because you modeled it out. And they're going to continue to put other things before him. Got to be very careful. And so we're, we easily think, well, hey, we're going to have 100 more Sundays. We're going to have 100 more Christmases. We're going to have 100 more this, 100 more that. You're not guaranteed tomorrow. Every choice you're making right now is, is sculpting your children and sculpting other believers about the choices they will make. It's a domino effect. All the choices we're making is affecting all of us around us. If you don't make it important to get to know other people in the church and you're okay with coming for a year to New Song and not knowing the name of the person right across the seat from you and know what their needs are and be able to minister to each other, if they're okay with that, then that's what your children will do. 
And that's what the next generation of church will do, only it will get worse. Because God has designed it. It's like, it's like he said, if you, will, if you will put me first, if I, will be, uh, if I will be your Lord in all things, then I will draw all men unto me. I want you, in closing, I want to just take a minute, I want you to think about one more thing. Think about this. Before Jesus arrived in a manger, before the angels sang to the shepherds on high, there was a rugged voice in the wilderness that warned of a coming Messiah. And before the Magi brought the gifts of the king, there was a man draped in camel skins, uh, munching on locusts that had been dipped in honey. And I mean, this guy, his name was John the Baptist. He was a forerunner to Jesus, but he was a rough character, right? I mean, when you had fellowship dinner at church, you think John was a popular guy? Like, hey, which dish did John bring? Because I just, just make sure I don't eat that. Lo- locust and honey thing, locust and honey thing, I'm not doing that. So, you know, everybody's on their whisper, like, which one did he bring? You know, this guy wanted to be out in the woods. He wanted to be fasting all the time. The religious people, he saw them. They weren't doing what they're supposed to do. He was a hardcore guy. He, he wanted to just be away from people. God pushed him out of that to go start teaching people to be baptized in water. And we still observe that today. Be baptized in water to point the way to Christ. The baptism wasn't going to save them. He was pointing them to that you're going to be need to wash, be washed of your sins. And so this is the forerunner. This is what God did. He loved us enough to send John the Baptist to prepare the way for Jesus. Preparation is God's love language. So in a loving, gracious way, God sends John the Baptist to condition the hearts of people so that they'd recognize Jesus when he comes. John came to prepare the way of the Lord. And that's what Mark, Mark gospel, Mark's gospel says. It says um, that This is the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. It began just as the prophet Isaiah had written. Look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, and he will prepare your way. He is a voice shouting in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord's coming. Clear the road for him. He was in the wilderness, and he preached to the people to be baptized to prepare the way for God. He wasn't your typical diplomat that would come before a king. He wasn't the guy that they called to make the way for the president of the next president of the United States. This was not the guy typical. He was unconventional. Um, it came with no fanfare. There was nothing glamorous about him in the manner in which he relayed his messages. But the content that he spoke had eternal implications. He wore animal skins, he, the locusts dipping honey, not a conventional ambassador for the king. And yet the preparation process of God with John the Baptist got, got messy. And listen to this. Some of you, and we've talked about this so much this year, some of you are letting the devil lie to you that you are not the person that can prepare the way for God to interject in somebody else's life. You think, you think that's somebody else. Pastor CJ, I can't speak in front of people. I can't do this and that. Listen, God is a master. His love language is about preparing the way. He will prepare the way. You just have to let go of your will and say, I'm available. And he'll prepare the way. You know? John the Baptist probably stunk wearing those skins and stuff. Probably wasn't that much of a pleasant person to be around, is what I'm guessing. Talk about a weird belt he wore and all this stuff. You know, he's just, he's different. And some of you are thinking, I'm too different, I'm too backwards, I'm too whatever. But God wants to use you. It's all about preparing the way that none should perish, but all have eternal life. And he has the plan to use each and every one of you to accomplish that in some way, some form, some fashion. In some way, we're engaged in some type of preparation for the holidays. But here's the question. What are we really preparing for? 
We live our lives every day in preparation for something because we have this idea that because of our, our culture tells us that if we prepare well enough, if we plan efficiently enough, that there's going to be margin in our life. There's going to be safety. It's like when the world was supposed to end at 2012 and somehow it got messed up and all the preppers had all this extra stuff now, right? You know, I love my family, so I'm going to bury millions of cans of beans, Preparation, it's a love language. It's stamped on us by God. It's just sometimes we get it wrong. So the question is, what are you preparing for? This Christmas can be about preparing just for Christmas. Or it could be Advent. It could be putting Jesus first. We're not going to start this next year. We're not going to wait for New Year's resolutions. We're going to start this year with the idea that we are not just going to church. We are living for Christ. and He is becoming first in our lives. We're not going to be held back. We're going to let his angel armies fight the battles because he's asked us to do it. We're going to lay it before him. We're going to let him take our hand. He already knows the future. We're just going to walk. And when he presents an opportunity for us to step into it and to serve, then we're not going to question our ability. We're not going to, we're not going to, we're going to learn from Moses' mistakes and not say, ah, Lord, I stutter. Oh, I can't talk. I can't do this. We're going to just step up and say, Lord, I'm here. I'm available. You did so much for me. I didn't deserve it. Like that baby, like the nesting he's done for you. You don't deserve it. But he loves you that much. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, God, for your word, for the opportunity to dig in and to let it change our lives. Lord, I have yet to ever sit and listen to inspirational speech off of some book or some other kind of self-help, God, where it truly is like the scalpel that gets into my heart and begins to cut away uh, the bad parts, Lord, of my life and Begins to change me. God, that is the proof your word is living and active. The God, if we'll open our hearts to your word, it will change us. Lord, many of us with good intentions, we may sing a few Christian Christmas songs and think we're focused on you, but God, and we are not opening up our lives for it to be all about you. The next thing that comes up, God, you're on the back burner. Lord, we need solid believers who have determined in their life that they are not backing down, that they are going to step forward and, and let you do mighty things in their life. They're, they're not going to just live it in name only. They're not going to just celebrate Christmas in name only. God, this is about Advent. This is about not only your birth, but it goes well beyond that. It's the preparation of the way that you've made for us, that love language, God, that nesting you've been doing for us all along, preparing. You've seen in our future, and you know that we're going to be okay. That sickness just like Job went through, that sickness we may go through, well, it may teach us to just slow down a little bit to focus more on you. That, that, that decision to turn down the overtime or turn down the job that's going to interfere with us serving you, then, then God, you're going to teach us to live on a little less so we can be happy and content with what we have, but we're going to still keep you first. Lord, that relationship in our lives that keeps pulling us away from you, that keeps leading us away from you, we're going to finally sever that in hopes that that person will finally see that, that yes, you do matter to us. That it's more than matter. We love you. We're committed to you. Whatever it may be, God, whatever it is that we're letting be our Xmas, I just pray right now that you'll help us to settle that with you, not just in this prayer time, but in action. When we leave here in our prayer time, that we would communion with you, we'd fellowship with you, and we'd let you begin to remove that Xmas from our lives and put you back Christ-centered in our lives. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.
man. 